Hey everyone, welcome to Hopevale's online worship experience this weekend. My name is Paul and I am one of the pastors here at Hopevale. And I'm really glad you chose to join us for our service here this weekend. If you are new, uh, maybe this is your first time checking out Hopevale or you're just visiting us just for today, we want to let you know that we consider it a privilege that you are choosing to spend part of your weekend with us. And I have a favor to ask of you. If you would go to hopevale.org slash new, you can find more information there about Hopevale. You can maybe get some of your questions answered and you can fill out our digital guest card which is just a way to start the conversation. Let us know that you showed up, um, maybe ask some questions about our church. We would love to just serve you, find out how we can serve you and your family any way that we can. So today we are going into week two of our series, Unlikely, and Pastor Sam will be talking to us about the Apostle Peter. There are multiple ways that you can engage in the service today, and I wanna encourage you to not just watch, but to actually lean in and engage with our online service. First thing you can do is during the worship, as Pastor Billy and his team lead us, you can stand, you can choose to sing along if you want, or you can just listen, whatever it is. I uh, just want you to engage in the worship. And then when Sam gets up to teach us, I would encourage you to grab a Bible and have your Bible with you so that you can read the passages of Scripture that Sam takes us to. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or if you want, you can go to the Hopevale mobile app and there's a, an electronic version of a Bible there for you. And there are also sermon notes. That's another great way for you to engage with the message. And then another way you can engage with the service this morning is through your giving which is an act of worship. There are multiple ways that you can give, and you can do that at any point through the service today. Uh, you can go to hopevale.org give if you'd like to give electronically. You can give through the mobile app. Uh, you can give simply by texting the word Hopevale to 77977. And you can always mail in or drop off your gift to our ministry center offices on Shattuck Road. My encouragement to you today is not just to watch this service, but to engage the service. And as I said, we are in week two of our series, Unlikely, and we are going to hear about the story of the Apostle Peter. And so I have a challenge for you, a question for you to consider as you listen to Sam. Where do you see yourself in the story of Peter? I think we all have something in common with him. And so as you're going through the service today, I'd love for you to just think about what it is that you might have in common with Peter. And as we get ready to lean into the rest of the service, let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you today for everyone who has chosen to join us for this online service. And I pray that as we go through the worship and as we sit and listen to Sam teach from your word and unpack the story of Peter, and as we choose to respond in worship through our giving, just ask, Lord, that you would be present in our homes or wherever it is that we are viewing this service. Um, we are available for whatever it is that you want to do uh, in us and through us. Uh, we consider it a privilege to be a part of your family and to be a part of Hopevale for these next few minutes. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So let's set our hearts, gang, on the things of God in Christ. And let's be about his heart and his ways so that we together can just be made better for him and live a better life for him, the life that he wants us to live. So let's worship together as Alyssa kicks us off.
In our 
special, you guys. So special. Well, glad you're with us today, friends. My name's Billy. I'm the worship pastor here. Thanks for uh, logging in to worship with us today and um, find some hope in all of this. It's a wild time. We're going to sing a song. Uh, it's about 20 years old. It's called Ancient Words, and some of you may uh, be familiar with it when Michael W. Smith uh, sort of helped make it popular. But uh, this song is really special uh, to me, has a real significance, and I had no idea, you know, we had no idea these days were coming of quarantine and uh, things like that. But, you know, we, uh, these, there's these words that talk about, the opening lines are, it says, um, words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. And it's talk about the scriptures, these ancient words, the Bible. So um, the reason this song is uh, intensely significant for me is that uh, I knew I was going to start crying. <laughs> surprise Billy's crying again um, so you know just like a lot of parents do you switch off and on uh, giving your kids baths at night before they go to bed or, or in the morning or whenever you do that and so my wife and I do that we change off and on and um, I've, we've got this song in my daughter's playlist and uh, it's this little kids version that's in the playlist and uh, we um, we sing it and um, scrubbing her little head and I'm praying for her, and I um, sing these words that says, uh, ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. And, and I tell her, I said, they're changing you too, sweetheart. Aren't you so thankful for what God's done for us and what we know about Jesus? And she says, yeah. And then she's splashing her toys and splashing me, and I'm crying, and she's <laughs> like, no idea, and she's just having fun. It's a, that's just how we do, but. Um, this song is very uh, special, I think, for right now in the times that we're in. These ancient words that we're about to hear from Pastor Sam as he comes can bring us so much hope and bring us such a strong foundation for the way in which we are to live, uh, whether things are great or things maybe don't seem so great. Let's worship together in this song, Ancient Words. Changing me 
for your scriptures. Thank you for the way that they speak into our lives and encourage us and remind us that at the end of the day, it's just you and me. There's nothing that we have control over. Uh, control is so uh, delusional. And um, I know we make our choices and do the things and you give us free will, but um, Lord, um, the only thing we can really ever know for sure is that the power of who you are, the power of what you've made, power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit here with us. So what a time to be reminded to rely on you. And so we do that today. Thank you, Lord, so much for this time of worship and ask, Lord, your blessing on Pastor Sam that these ancient words would change me today in your name. It's been great worshiping with you already this morning. I'm Pastor Sam, and I am here actually in our studio. I thought we'd change things up this week. We are in week two of our new series, Unlikely, for the month of August. And it's all about these improbable stars from the Bible and the incredible stories that they live. Last week, we took a look at the story of Moses and, and how God used Moses in spite of his limitations, his speech limitations that he had. And we learned that God wants to use us too, in spite of our physical, in spite of our mental, our emotional, or even relational limitations that we might have. That, that God does not want us to excuse what he could use. See, that's what Moses was doing. He was making excuses to God as to why God couldn't use him because of his limitations. But God said, no, I've got everything you need and I'm going to be with you. So don't excuse what God could use. Well, not only can God use us in spite of our limitations, 
But God can also use you and me in spite of our past and even our present failures. See, I think a lot of us know that to be true in theory. I think a lot of us know that to be true, but, but sometimes we don't really allow ourselves to fully believe it and to fully embrace it. The reason we do this, I believe, comes from the fact that I think a lot of us buy into and believe a myth. And that, that myth goes something like this. My past mistakes disqualify my present ministries. That the mistakes that we've made in our past, somehow we can't get over them. We can't figure out to, you know, how to apply forgiveness to them. And so we look at them and we say, my past mistakes, they must just disqualify me from my present ministries. When I was in middle school, um, I had this uh, principal that I really looked up to. I went to a small Christian school that was run by a church. And we, all of us, we all loved our principal. Well, one day during my seventh grade year, um, it was brought to our attention that that principal and one of the teachers were having an affair with each other. And the way that that church dealt with it was that they brought both the principal and the teacher up on the stage and disciplined them publicly. And as a seventh grader, I remember thinking, I don't know about this. This seems really, really hurtful. But that's the way they handled it. And I remember being sad. I remember being frustrated. I remember being disappointed. And I remember thinking, how in the world could this happen? But I just had this immense amount of sadness. Well, six months later, um, I was with my dad and we were working on a, a construction site. My dad was an electrician and he would often take me as a kid to go help him rewire stuff. And we were at this restaurant rewiring the restaurant. And I saw my former principal there. He was actually doing some of the construction work there. So I, I looked at him and I gave him this smile and this wave. And he looked back at me and he gave me this half broken, this little gesture of like, hey, I see you kind of a thing. But as I looked into his eyes, all I could see was sadness. All I could see was brokenness. All I could see was disappointment and the failure that he must have just been carrying with him over and over and over again. And I fast forward the tape even further, about a year later, it was the middle of my eighth grade year, we got word that he had ended up ending his life. And I remember feeling just this immense amount of sadness and kind of this despair and, and thinking, you know, why would somebody do that? And I remember um, being a part, you know, going to his memorial service and I remember people talking about him, but I remember his wife talking about him. And one of the things that she said was that he just could not um, get rid of the guilt and get rid of all of the disappointment in his life that this decision had, had cost him. And he allowed the guilt of his failure to shape his identity and to dictate his calling. See, he bought into the myth and believed the lie that there was no coming back from this mistake. There was no coming back from this failure. You know, I'm sure the evil one haunted him day after day after day after day with with things like saying to him, you're worthless, or you're useless, or you're hopeless, or you're a failure, or you know, you're completely disqualified from being used by God. And I, I think he, he believed it, and that's what caused him to do what he did. Now here's how this connects to you and to me. I think that every single one of us has something that the evil one would like to use against us. I think that we all have something that that he would love to do the same thing with. He would love to tell us over and over and over again about our failures and our mistakes and, and say to us, because we made that decision that we are, we're worthless, we're hopeless, that we're disqualified from being used by God. And as I'm saying that, maybe some of you are, are sitting there and you're watching the screen and you're thinking, 
oh my goodness, that's, that feels like my story too. And maybe the evil one has tried to tell you things like, well, you'll never amount to anything because of this or because you did this. Or maybe it's, you know, God can't use you because you did and then fill in the blank. Or, or you're hopeless and you're helpless because you did and then fill in the blank. Or, or you're a fraud and you're a fake because you did fill in the blank. But I want us to chase down a different question. And the question I want us to chase down today is, what if God doesn't see it that way? What if God doesn't see it that way? What if God wants to use you and use me in spite of our past failures, even the big ones? What if God still wants to use us in spite of all that? What if when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures? What if when God looks at you and looks at me, he sees something else? And what if God wants you and me to see something else other than our failures? Well, if you have a copy of the scriptures, a physical or a digital one, I want you to grab it and I want you to turn to the New Testament gospel of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I want you to turn there. John was written by the best friend of Jesus. And I want you to turn to chapter 21. Chapter 21 is the very last chapter in the gospel of John. And if you just want to follow along, I'm sure there's going to be some verses on the screen too. You can do that as well. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the story of a guy who failed Jesus in a miserable way. But that wasn't the end of his story. And it didn't disqualify him from contributing in a huge way. We're going to look and take a sneak peek into the life of a guy named Peter. Now, let me give you the 411 on what's going on. Uh, Jesus and Peter are having a conversation early on, right before um, Jesus goes to the cross. And Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, no way, not going to happen. He, he even says, Jesus, I will go so far as to follow you into my death if I have to. I will not deny you. And Jesus says, well, actually, Peter, what's going to happen is you're going to deny me three times and then a rooster's going to crow. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. But that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens. He denied ever even knowing Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was um, taken in to be tried, he, Peter was standing outside in the courtyard and someone comes up to him and says, you were with Jesus. And he's like, no, I wasn't. And he three separate times, he denied even knowing Jesus. And then a rooster crows just as Jesus said it would. And when that happened, Peter ran away, fully ashamed of his decision and fully ashamed of his failure. See, he not only failed Jesus, he failed Jesus in the way that he adamantly said he was never going to. He promised Jesus, I would never do that to you, and that yet he failed in that specific way. And so his failure felt even heavier. Well, after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus would appear to the disciples a couple of different times. And at the beginning of John chapter 21, he appears to them in a very specific way. The disciples are out on a fishing trip and they're having no luck catching any kind of fish. I mean, not even one of those stories of it was this big, but it got away. Like nothing at all. They're drowning bait on the side of their boat. And this guy comes walking by, spoiler alert, it's Jesus. And he yells out to them, hey, having any luck? Because I think that's what you're supposed to say whenever you see somebody fishing, you're having any luck. It happens to me all the time. And they yell back to him, no, no. And so Jesus says, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you take your nets and throw them on the other side of the boat? And I can just hear all the disciples going, 
Sure, the guy on the shore is trying to tell us how to fish. We've done this four times already. I guess we can do this again. So they throw their nets on the other side of the boat. And as soon as they do that, they get this huge catch of fish. And when Peter hears the voice and he sees what happens, he recognizes this is Jesus. And so he jumps out of the boat and he swims all the way to shore. He could have just like stayed in the boat because they were coming right behind him, but he, he just was so impulsive. He's like, I got to do this. So he jumps out and he swims all the way to shore. On the shore, Jesus is, has a fire going. He's cooking fish. He's getting ready to, to cook breakfast for everybody. And so that's where we pick up this story in John chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 15. Look what it says here. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? I think Peter in that moment finally caught what was going on. He said, well, I denied Jesus three times and he's asking me three times if I love him. And he's putting two and two together. So he says back to Jesus, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then look what Jesus says to Peter. He says, very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. See, Peter's still guilt-ridden at the beginning of this story. He's, he's out there, he's fishing. He can't believe like what he has done. It's almost as if he can't quite understand what forgiveness looks like in his life right now. All he can see is his failure. And like for the past three years, he's been following this guy and then he denied him, he failed him. And now then he died and then now he's back. And he's like, I don't know what to make of this. And so here's Peter and all of his friends are out fishing again. They left that occupation three years ago, but now they're back doing it again because they don't know what to do. And he comes back to shore and he's just in the midst of this. I don't know what to do with my failure. I don't know what to do with my guilt. Jesus is right in front of me. And Jesus takes a walk with Peter. And Jesus asks Peter three separate times if he loves him. It's almost as if Jesus is giving a one-for-one one forgiveness for failure trade. He's saying, Peter, I understand you, you, you failed me here this one time when you denied me. I'm going to offer you forgiveness for that. I'm going to offer you forgiveness. And I'm going to offer you forgiveness again. And this beats up Peter a little bit because he's like feeling the weight of what he did, but he's feeling Jesus and his forgiveness towards him in the same moment. And then he says something very bizarre to Peter. He, it, but it's epic if you follow the context of this and the whole story of what happened. Because he says, he says to Peter, Peter, when you're old, you will die in the same manner as I did. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm talking to Jesus and Jesus is, saying, is offering me forgiveness over and over again, and he says, oh yeah, by the way, Sam, you're going to die. I'm not sure how I would take that. But I think Peter took it uh, in a little different way because of the context that it was set in. You know, Jesus says, you know, when you're older, you're gonna, you're, someone else is going to stretch out your hands. And that was just the, his way of saying that, hey, Peter's going to die by crucifixion. But he, what he was meaning was this. He was meaning that this time, Peter, you're going to follow me. And you're going to follow me the way you said you would at the beginning. When you made the declaration, I'm going to follow you even if it costs me my life. And he says to him, look, you really are this time. That failure that happened in your denial isn't your future. That's not where your life is heading. In fact, you're going to follow me so hard that you're going to die the exact same death 
that I did. This time, Peter wouldn't deny him, but he would follow him completely. And it was, it was as, as if Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, that failure doesn't define your future. It doesn't define your life. In fact, in a strange way, you're going to follow me so closely that people will say, wow, you died just like Jesus did. You followed him that closely. And in, in this strange way, it would, would almost be comforting to Peter to know, oh my goodness, I get this second chance to live out what I said I was, would do in the first place. But I think what's truly epic about this exchange, besides that, is that here Jesus tells Peter three separate times, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What he's doing is he's passing on a baton of leadership and of shepherding of, of his disciples to Peter. He's saying, Peter, I, I, I know you have this failure that you can't let go of, and I'm going to forgive you of that, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to forgive you of it, but I'm going to elevate you into a position of serving and leadership, and I'm going to give you, that's where your future is going. I'm going to give you that responsibility. What an amazing Amazing encounter that Peter has with Jesus right in this moment of forgiveness, of restoration, and then re-engagement back into ministry and actually leadership over the rest of the disciples. What Jesus is saying to Peter is he's saying, Peter, your past failure does not disqualify your present ministry. It doesn't. You're forgiven. Your failure is not your future. You have something else in store. God can use you, Peter, in spite of your past failure. And what that tell, this story tells me and you is that God can use you and me in spite of our past failures as well. I think that the evil one would want you to believe that your past failures equals a game over for you and for me. That you've been disqualified or to use a, a word that's been made really famous in our culture that you're canceled because you failed. But God has different plans for you. For me. See that myth that we talked about at the beginning, my, my past mistakes disqualify me from present ministries. That is a myth. Here's the truth. The truth is that your past failures do not dictate what God could do with your possible future. Your past failures do not dictate what God could do with your possible future. And that's what we see in the story of Peter. Jesus could have looked at Peter and said, sorry, dude, you messed up big time. I'm going to have to go with somebody else. But he did not choose that. In fact, he chose the route of forgiveness with Peter. And he chose the route of, I want to bless you and I want to use you in spite of those failures. Your past failures do not dictate what God could do with your possible future. Now, I, I need to put an asterisk in here because um, here's also what is true. That your past failures, although they do not dictate what God could do with your possible future, they may limit your present ministry opportunities. That there are certain times when we fail in certain ways that the consequences of those failures limit our opportunities that we have for future ministry. They don't cancel them. They don't disqualify all of them. But they may limit the opportunities that we may have with certain kind of ministry. But they don't cancel them altogether. You see, when Jesus looked at Peter, he didn't see his failures. He forgave them. And when God looks at you and when God looks at me, he doesn't see our failures either. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what God sees is God sees his son, Jesus, when he looks at you and when he looks at me. He doesn't see the word failure stamped across your forehead. He sees the word forgiven. You are not your failures. You've been forgiven. Check out what Romans 5, uh, verses 6 through 11 have to say. Starting verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes these powerful words. He says, you see, just at the right time, 
When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, and if anybody knows what that feels like, and anybody knows what that's like, it's Paul. Because before he encountered Jesus, before he became a follower of Jesus, he was killing Christians. He was an enemy of God, thinking he was doing what God wanted him to do. And so he writes, while we were still sinners, and I'm guessing in his mind, he's thinking of those moments, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, and he would know, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's, that's the point of the story of Peter and Jesus in their conversation is that, that Jesus is offering Peter forgiveness for his failures and allowing that to define him. And he's also taking him through a process of restoration and reconciliation so he can, he can get him to the place of re-engagement in ministry and, and to be used again by God. Not, not counting his past failures as like that's the thing that's defining you. So here's the question that we come to. What do we do? Well, I think this story and the Romans chapter 5 gives us an amazing process as we think about re-engaging ministry, even though we can't get past these, these failures that we've had in our past. How can God use me when I have these past failures? Well, if we can go through this process that we see Peter go through and that Paul outlines here, I think we can get ourselves to a place where we see ourselves not as, as the failure that we did, but as forgiven by God and re-engaged back into powerful ministry. That process looks something like this. There are four words. The first word and the first part of the process is the word repent. Repentance. That's the very first step. When you, when you have this thing that's just kind of clouding over you, this failure, this mistake that you've made and you just can't get past it, the very first thing that we need to do is we need to engage in repentance. And here's what repentance means. Repentance means to change your mind, to do a 180 in your mind and in your, your soul and in your life of saying, I, I was going this way and this is the mistake, this is the failure I made. Now I'm going to turn 180 and I'm going to go the other direction. I'm going to think about it in another direction. We need to first admit our failure, admit we need forgiveness. We can't walk around and say, well, I don't need to be forgiven for anything. We need to admit our failures, and then we need to turn from that thinking and turn from that way of living and start going in God's direction. That's, that's what repentance is. It doesn't mean that I got to start behaving a certain way in order for God to forgive me. It means that I need to see my failure for what it is, and I need to make an active turn away from it. So that's repentance. That's the first step of the process. The next step is the word reconcile. It's reconciliation. This is, this is that moment where, where God steps in and goes, I, I understand. I see the failure and I, I'm, I'm glad you've admitted it and you've asked for forgiveness. I'm going to extend that forgiveness to you. Accepting the forgiveness that God extends to us and allowing that to dictate our relationship with Jesus. That is this reconciliation thing. I think a lot of us, we, we can get to that point. We understand the repentance thing. We understand the reconciliation thing. But I think a lot of, for a lot of us, that's kind of where it stops. We go, I'm good with God. I've, I've worked all that out, and I'm just going to jump back in. And I think the third part of this process is the part that we skip over a lot, but it's probably one of the biggest parts of getting us back into this, this uh, thing called ministry. And it's this, uh, this part of the process called restoration. It's the word restore. 
And there's a question that goes along with this. And the question goes something like this. Was there anything broken because of your failure? Was there anything broken? Was there a relationship that was broken because of this failure or mistake? Was there trust that was broken because of it? See, we, we go through repentance and reconciliation, but we need to do the hard work of restoration, of restoring relationships, of restoring trust so that we can get back to this place of re-engagement in ministry. So when we get through the repentance, I see my, my failure for what it is. I'm changing my mind. I'm going this, this direction. I'm, I'm accepting the forgiveness that God has for me over this. And then I need to go after, okay, so, so who did I wrong? Or what, what trust did I break? And how can I start doing the work to repair that and restore that? And then the fourth word of the process is re-engage. Re-engagement. When the time is right, when you've gone, gone through the proper steps of that process, let forgiveness lead the way and step out in ministry. Don't, don't let your failure be the thing that defines you. Let, let forgiveness be the thing that defines you. Take that step back into ministry. Remember, your past failures don't disqualify you from present ministries. They may limit your present opportunities, and that's just a reality we have to face. But they don't disqualify you. My, I have a friend named Brian. He was my roommate um, in college, one of my roommates in college. And um, when he was very young and he was still single, he was a youth pastor at a really small church in Pennsylvania. And I remember visiting Brian um, back right after I graduated college. And, and he took me to his church and we were kind of walking around. And I just remember thinking to myself about Brian. I, I thought to myself, man, this guy needs to safeguard himself a little bit more. Um, because he's a very friendly person, very loving person, very, uh, he hugged everybody all the time. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. But there are just some things that I was in the back of my head thinking, I hope this doesn't come back to bite him because he isn't safeguarding himself, especially against female students. And sure enough, three years later, he's down in Florida as a youth pastor, is married, has a kid, and a police officer comes, knocks on his door and says that uh, there's a warrant out for your arrest. You've been accused by two young women. Um, who were in your former youth group and you need to go back to Pennsylvania and stand trial for it. And he, he said, I, I didn't do anything. And he still to this day says he was not guilty, but he ended up going to court and he ended up um, uh, striking a plea bargain with the parents and he ended up serving jail time for it and um, was, is on the sex offenders list to this day because of it. And he no longer can be a youth pastor. And I remember walking through him, you know, walking with this, you know, through with him through this. And I remember him saying, I don't understand what's going on. Um, I know I, I should have been safer. I should have done this the right way, but I don't understand this. And but he felt at the beginning, he felt like that I failed. I made a huge mistake and all this stuff. But that wasn't the end of his story. No, you sure he can't. He, his opportunities are limited. He can't work with kids anymore. But God wasn't through with Brian and so God tapped Brian on the shoulder and said, hey, you've got other things that I want to use. And so God used his musical ability. And so now Brian is serving um, in a church using his music, music abilities um, after serving, going through a giant process of restoration and reconciliation. And I think it's so cool that God can still use a guy like Brian, even though he looks back and goes, man, that was a dark period of my life. That was a dark time. God's still using him in a way um, that he feels like fulfilled. And God is saying, you know, I'm not done with you, Brian. So don't let your past failures define you and disqualify you from present ministry opportunities. They may limit what you're, what you're capable of doing, what you're allowed to do, but, but don't let them disqualify you or cancel you. Allow forgiveness, God's forgiveness, 
to lead the way. And I started thinking of this, what if we could learn to let go of our regrets over our past failures and allow God's forgiveness to lead us into our futures? And what if instead of seeing the word failure stamped across our own foreheads, we could see the word forgiven? How would that change how we view ourselves, how we view our identities, and how God might want to use us for present ministry right here and right now? I mean, imagine the powerful story that could be told by a group of people who allowed God's forgiveness to determine their future effectiveness and who didn't dwell on the failures of other people either. I mean, imagine what God wants to do through you and through me in spite of our failures and our mistakes to elevate Jesus to the rest of this world and to feed his sheep like he told Peter. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask a question today as we wrap up. And this question is going to be very personal. I just want you to think about this and then I'm going to pray. What does God want you to let go of? What does God want you to let go of and replace with the word forgiven instead? Let me pray. God, we, um, we thank you for this, this story of Peter and Jesus and their conversation. And God, I know a lot of us see our lives wrapped up in Peter and his denial and his failure and his feelings in those moments. And God, I know a lot of, a lot of what we think is, I'm not sure I can really get over that one. Uh, maybe that's too big to be used by God, by you in, in any kind of way. And, and I love what this story teaches us. It teaches us that, that forgiveness is the thing that needs to lead our life, not our failure stamped across our forehead. God, I, I pray that um, if anyone who is watching this service has been um, just haunted by the evil one over and over again, saying you're a failure, you're worthless, you're hopeless, God, that, that they would not see themselves in that light, but they would see themselves the way you see them through Jesus, and that is forgiven. And maybe there's someone who's watching who, who doesn't understand that forgiveness, but today maybe they're like, I want to know what that forgiveness is. I pray that, that the Holy Spirit would open up their hearts and they would ask that question, who is this Jesus to me and why, why is his forgiveness that he offers through the, his crucifixion and his resurrection, why is that so important? And they would travel down that path and, and ultimately come to know your son Jesus so that they can lead, to have their lives led with forgiveness instead of the failures that, that have happened in their lives or that they've, they've committed. God, may we be a church that that does not allow our mistakes and our failures to just disqualify us and keep us from moving. But God, may we understand and know that you want to use us in spite of our failures, in spite of our mistakes, to do incredible ministry and work for you to elevate your son Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. So what'd you think? As you were listening to Pastor Sam talk about the story of Peter, I'm wondering where you could relate. Uh, where you could see yourself in that story. You know, it's pretty amazing to me to think about the fact that despite mistakes we've made in our past, despite poor decisions that we've made, despite failures that we might have experienced, God still chooses to use us. That's amazing. There really truly is hope for everyone. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for worshiping with us here at Hope Vale. Thank you for leaning in to the teaching time with Pastor Sam. Thank you to all of you who are giving to the ministries of Hopevale. I hope that you will join us again next week as we continue in our unlikely series. 
And I would encourage you to stop by hopevale.org relaunch, where you can find information about all of our upcoming online services and outdoor experiences, including the outdoor worship night that is coming up on Saturday night, August 29th, and our outdoor baptism service that is scheduled for August 26th. Would love for you to engage in those um, when you can, if you can. So as we wind up the service today, I want to encourage you to just hang out for these next few minutes and let us, the worship team here at Hopevale, bless you. Let us sing a blessing for you as you head into your week. So take just a few moments and watch this.
Yeah. 